You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, November the 7th. We have just enjoyed the 2023 edition of the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Disappointment for the international invaders as an ex-British trained horse without a fight completed the Caulfield Cup and Melbourne Cup double, the first horse to do so since 2001. It was a notable double also for Mark Zara, who'd taken the race last year on Gold Trip and decided to ride a different horse this time. His judgment was vindicated and one father and son combination, Anthony and Sam Friedman, replaced another, Simon and Ed Crisford, as the trainer of this horse who was down the field when representing the UK last year. Now he's a local, as is my co-host Adam Peacock, who was on the international broadcast with us today. Uh, Adam, this was a most impressive performance and so many human interest stories here as well. One of the best cup wins and uh, that I can remember in a long time, what it evoked memories of, and it's uh, just after the international started coming in the 90s. In 1996, a horse called Saintly, uh, trained by the great Bart Cummings, won a race, the Melbourne Cup, by basically being put to sleep for three quarters of the race by a beautiful ride from Darren Beeman. And the ride from Mark Zara and the rhythm that the horse got in today and without a fight and the training performance from father and son is up there with that. It's one of the great cup wins and one of the great cup rides as well. Just perfect. I spoke yesterday to, to Kieran Ma and he felt that Mark Zara was going to be the danger, not just because of the horse, but because it was Mark Zara. Okay, he'd got off his horse Gold Trip to ride without a fight, but he said he's riding with so much confidence, he just seems to have the hex on people in these big races at the moment. Is he is he onto something there? I think he's onto something. I think he's onto something. Look, he's, he's had a fantastic battle this spring here in Australia with James McDonald in some big races, and it happened again on the weekend in the derby where James McDonald tipped him out. But Mark, with this ride, he was out of gate 16 so he had some uh, decisions to make in the first 400 metres it's a huge run to the first turn as we know it's 800 metres plus but still he's got to get he's got to have his head screwed on straight away and he did and he plopped him on the rail and got him to sleep and the rest was the trainer's work and getting them uh, getting the horse in this condition after the Caulfield Cup it just couldn't have worked out any better for jockey rider and horse. Uh, Frankie Dottori was leaping up and down uh, as enthusiastically as anyone when without a fight hit the, hit the front. I think he'd worked out that Zara was going to hold the best party tonight. Uh, yes, Mark is known for that. Now, the, the Freedmans won't throw as good a party in the training ranks as uh, Kieran Maher and, and David Eustace did last year. I'm, I'm led to believe that there was no sleep involved in the next 24 hours after they I, I won the I believe I may have attended that. Okay, can you remember any of it? No. <laughs> well, the, the Freedmans, well, Anthony didn't even, I don't think he even was on track today, uh, the senior of the two. Sam was, and he was so happy, and he's such a well-spoken young man. He's, he's great for racing in this part of the world. He's a calm influence, and, yeah, I, I think his party will look a little different to the Zara's um, because Zara's uh, Mark's partner as well she likes a party too so uh, look out Melbourne tonight alright let's hear from the winning rider now he's debriefed at the Assemble Press just after the race this is what he had to say at the top of the straight you know I, I didn't spend a penny at all and once I got out behind um, inside Gold Trip and uh, Zach Burton's mount once I got that gap I thought there's not a horse that can beat me from here you know and he just kicks strong and yeah probably 400 out, I reckon, on your one. 
I'm lucky a horse with that turn of foot, you know, you, you can just sit and wait. And um, once I found the fence, I knew it was going to take me a lot way. I was following the right, the right jockeys and, um, you know, they, they made their moves and it opened up for me a bit. And then when I got into the clear, uh, like you say, once it opens up, that's a, that is a great feeling. After the Caulfield Cup, I, I was sort of leaning his way and then I wanted to ride um, a gold trip in the Cox Plate. And then luckily the owners gave me until that night. And... I just had to think about it and, and I watched the, the Corfer Cup again and I just thought I was stronger than Gold Trip in the Corfer Cup and um, you know, I only went up one kilo, which I didn't think was much. I didn't think it was going to affect our chances at all. Um, Gold Trip had to go up a kilo from last year. The weather forecast was for firm ground, which this horse loves. And I, I just thought there was a lot more positives for the without a fight camp than there was for Gold Trip. You get to a point where you got to go, right, this is my business, you know, it's not... Uh, I don't just ride this horse because I love it. Uh, this is my business and I have to make a decision based on what horse I think can win because Melbourne Cups, I can go a few years without riding and because of my weight, you know. So if you had to ride him every year, you just maybe have a bit of sentimentality, but sent, you know the word I'm trying to say. But uh, <laughs> I just think I just had to really put everything aside and just go what horse can win no matter what he's done for you in the past, what can win on that first Tuesday of November. And I thought without a fight was a better choice. It doesn't really sink in right at the start. I, I think... Um, Sam will have this feeling like in a couple of weeks you go, oh, I just won a Melbourne Cup, you know, and you have those moments and, yeah, uh, the trophy cabinet's starting to look pretty good. I think you, you, your first one is like really elation, you know, you can't really believe that you've actually done it. Um, this year it's simulation, but you, you know you can do it, you know, so you go in, I reckon, with a lot more confidence. So, I mean, it's still one of the best feelings in the world, but... I was like, Costa Line, I told you so. You know, I knew I picked the right horse and I told you I could win it. I was hoping I'd draw a barrier one to four. And Sam went and stuffed that up when he picked 16 <laughs> out of the hat. But anyway, because um, I, 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 he's a horse that goes a lot better when he goes to the fence. And once I found the fence, I was really comfortable how he'd switched on, off in the run. And like I said before, I, I was following Damien Oliver. Damien Oliver was following James McDonald. James McDonald was following Ryan Moore. And even though Ollie wasn't on the best horse, you know he's going to take you to a certain point. In these big races, you want to be following the right jockeys as well. And they got me to probably the 800. And then it was just a matter of just finding where I could go. And then when I end up, I've gone from, you know, fifth, fifth last, wherever I was on the fence, to right behind the favourite in Vorban and Absurd. And I was like, that, that, I, and I spent no energy doing that. I thought, if I get out here, it's all over. And then once Gold Trip wobbled a bit, it's game, set, and match. That was Mark Zara then winning the Lexus Melbourne Cup for the second year in succession, this time on without a fight. And really it was a, a knockout blow the horse delivered with that turn of foot. We ought to talk about uh, Solcombe who missed the kick again by about as much as he did in the, in the Caulfield Cup. Nothing Joe Moreira could do about it. Nothing taking the blinkers off could do about it. And he, he's run a corker. He's run a beauty. And uh, look, we'll, we'll have to, and I, I don't know how closely Chris Waller goes over it and Joe Marrera as well who's who's had a magical run of late especially in Japan last weekend with all these winners but look he, he, your options are taken out of your hand by this horse he did it in the uh, in the Caulfield Cup he, he missed the kick by half the distance this time but it was still three lengths so he's having to weave in between here and there all the way through interrupted run in the last 800 so it wasn't great but it's a fantastic run and once again we've got a trifecta or a first four actually in Australia that's the runners who finished in the first four spots started their career in the Northern Hemisphere and have come down here to be trained by local trainers. So that's what it is, the Melbourne Cup right now. There's 15 of the 20 locally trained horses had that scenario in them, uh, next to them in the book. There aren't many European challengers for the Melbourne Cup that have come here with as much fanfare as Vauban, with a, as heavy a burden of expectation. And let's 
put no finer point upon it. He was rank disappointed. <laughs> he was. He was. He was absurd. Was the better run and absurd. Last furlong, just run out of legs. Now, does this come down to the conditions? We've, we're standing here in 32-degree heat. Is it that? Did the horse get fizzed up? Or just is it the fact that you, you've come down here and the training preparation is so hard to do in the other part of the world and you can't get everything completely right for what is a high-quality handicap? It, it isn't just a, a grinding staying test. It's a you, You've got to have your, your turn of foot about you in this race. And, and Vauban, he got the, the dream run. Uh, Ryan Moore couldn't have asked you couldn't have asked any more of Ryan Moore you couldn't have asked any more of Zach Burton I thought absurd at the the furlong and a half wins and then he just yeah the the uh, the balloon punctured Vauban just was rather lethargic when when yeah. Ryan Moore asked for and Ryan cut a rather dejected figure as he wheeled his his bag out of Flemington Racecourse having been here for well 24 hours uh, having jetted in from from Santa Anita he's off to go and ride in Japan now mm. And then go. Then he's going to go to Bahrain. Then he's going back to Japan, and then to Hong Kong, and then Japan again, and then back home. He doesn't like winters, huh? <laughs> At home, anyway. Something like that. Anyway. It's going to be cold in Japan, but oh, yeah. I didn't feel so bad about my travel schedule when I heard <laughs> no, that. I, exactly. felt, I felt slightly less guilty. It'd be interesting to see what Willie Mullins makes of it all, and obviously Rich Ritchie, who's brought so much colour. We'll be ho- back. We hopefully they come back because they they add so much to the race, but. Yeah, the, the debrief will be interesting out of the Mullins camp about track, but absurd, um, for one, terrific uh, form on, on firm footing. And it, it, I've walked across the track a couple of times today. It's it's bordering on concrete now because of this wind that we've had all day. So, yeah, just not good enough on the day. All right, disappointment then here at Flemington for the, the European invaders. Absurd, Vauban, Akita Sushi. They'll be back. We will be back. Um, and I can't wait to... To, to do it all over again, really. Uh, luckily, you and I are upsides for the Kennedy Oaks and Champions Day, aren't we, later in the week? The Oaks is, yeah, you know, the reset day, if you like, and the best three-year-old fillies in the land go around. And then we've got one hell of a Champions Day. They've, they've kind of mirrored what goes on at Ascot and, and things like Breeders' Cup. They're, they're plumping all these great races in one go. But first things first, Nick, it's a warm day. And when you're in Australia, at the end of a warm day, what do you do? You go and have a beer. Yeah, especially when you've been roasting in a morning suit all day. <laughs> Whose idea was that? Not mine, not mine. I went and got out of mine, but we don't have time, mate. We've got to go and get a cold one. All right. We will, we will do that. For the moment, that is it from here in Melbourne. Well, there was a great sense of shock and an incalculable uh, degree of sadness across the racing world um, earlier today with the news of the, the death of Cody Dorman at the age of 17, just a day after he'd watched the horse who was named after him, Cody's Wish, win a consecutive uh, Breeders' Cup dirt mile. Uh, the scenes in the winner's circle on Saturday uh, echoed those of the previous year and, in a sense, had even more intensity. And just a, a few hours after Cody was able to enjoy that final success, uh, he passed away. Uh, his parents, uh, Kelly and Leslie, have issued a, an extraordinarily moving statement paying tribute to the uh, great courage of their son Cody, uh, which we've all witnessed over the last couple of years. Um, Brittany Erton, my NBC colleague, joins me now. And um, I think everybody is in a, a state of, of great shock, Brittany, for all that, as his father Kelly said, we knew this day would come. I think that's when you woke up this morning to that news, at least for me personally, it's exactly what you just said. It was a, a, a deep sense of shock and, and devastation for the family and almost a bewilderment of, 
of how how could this happen? You went from the most beautiful moment in the winner's circle where Cody's wish goes out a winner, and there was Cody Dorman there to, to witness it all, almost racing with him with so much perseverance and resilience that, you know, the boy represented, um, to then one of the most heartbreaking moments to hear that, that he had passed. And I find in moments like this where it's hard to process what's transpiring i i looked at it from the standpoint of kelly had said that the doctors told him that cody would not live to see his second birthday he made it to nearly 18 and my thought was if you look at it from a brighter standpoint perhaps he was holding on to see that final race from his best friend and be in the winner's circle with him once more. Um, it, This family, this boy gave us so much. I think more than we will ever be able to process right now in the moment, but he brought inspiration, hope, a sense of perseverance and resilience. Um, and just to see on his face what it meant to watch this horse who he was named after run with so much of those embody so many of that those things i think we felt we were riding along with him um and it is just with the heaviest of hearts that, that i think we all feel for the family right now but also grateful for what cody and cody's wish gave each of us what really struck me on on saturday and, and struck me in the in the beautiful tribute that um kelly and uh, leslie and and kylie wrote was that he will have known cody will have known right to the last day just how much he was loved and cherished and appreciated by his family and i thought well if we could all uh, treat our loved ones like that all the time the world would be a, a great place there's so much more to take away than the remarkable bonds between the horse and a young boy. I mean, it goes to say a lot about the industry and what these horses do for us. Uh, I think it was Winston Churchill who said the, you know, the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a person. And I truly believe that. But it's what you said, too. It's so much more than just that connection between horse and human. It is what the family brought. And they brought us all into their family, did they not? You had the opportunity to speak to them multiple times. I had the, the pleasure and the honor of speaking to them and interviewing them many times. I'm I'm looking at my desk right here, and it um it Cody gave me a, a pen at on Derby Day that said Cody's wish, and it just it's how much they brought each of us. I think what we got even more so than this beautiful bond between horse and and human was feeling a part of their family, a part of this ride with them as well, having the, the honor to speak to them many a times that they were there rooting Cody home. Um, it was just the, the specialness of being a part of that moment with them and the true inspiration uh, that he left each of us with. And of course, it's a, it's a, it is a, a bond that is going to live on in in perpetuity, really, because this this horse is is going to have a have an impact and a legacy. I said that earlier this morning that Cody and his memory will never be forgotten. The bond that they shared will never be broken. As you said, his legacy will live on with the sons and daughters of Cody's wish. And that will be something beautiful. I received so many messages suggesting that a 
race should be named after him or a horse should be named Cody's legacy. So everything that he meant to this sport in the short amount of time that we were able to get to know him and get to know the bond with him and Cody's wish will forever live on. And um, the family have asked um, that if you'd like to make a, a donation uh, to make a wish, you can do so. And of course, it was the Make a Wish Foundation that enabled uh, this this extraordinary journey to begin in the in the first instance. Uh, and you can do that by visiting their their website. And it is the Make a Wish uh, Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio chapter. It's it's a wonderful charity that's done something quite extraordinary um, for so many children and young adults. Uh, who are living with life-limiting or terminal illnesses, and we all pay tribute to Cody Dorman and uh, what he gave to this sport and to all of us um, uh, who died yesterday at the age of 17. What next for the impressive winner of the Breeders' Cup Classic, um, the resurgent White Barrio? His, uh, his trainer, Rick Dutro joins me now, having just landed back home. Uh, Rick, first of all, how's the horse? That's the most important thing. Oh, he's good. He lost a little weight in the race, you could tell, but he, other than that, he's good. He's got plenty of time to put it back on, so we're, we're ecstatic about what's happening with him. And my only question going into the race was, was he White Abario that I knew from old, or was he a new White Abario? And the question was emphatically the the latter how have you how have you managed and marshaled this progress since you've had him what have you done to not turn him round but to to build on on what we knew was there already mostly his weight and mostly the glue on shoes there's nothing else that we did around him other than give him a chance on both of those uh as soon as ian glued him on up front he ran a big race in the whitney and after that he glued him behind and he just seemed like he trained better. So that's a big part of why he's improved along with the weight that he's put on. So I think those are the two key factors. Because mm, we always knew that he had talent. I remember from his early three-year-old days in Florida, he occasionally looked brilliant. I mean, you think it was just his feet, really, that were occasionally compromising him? I wouldn't know about that. I can only deal with what's in front of me, and I know that he needed glue on shoes because his front feet were kind of awkward i don't know why he ran so bad in the past the owners have better ideas maybe joseph sappy would about that but you know since we've gotten him we've only seen them that he needed to pack some weight on which he did and he needed glue on shoes and they moved him up um how confident were you going into the race on saturday did you, you know, you've trained champion horses in the in the past did you believe that this was a a horse with that sort of potential yes yes we are absolutely just overwhelmed by him and i'll tell you something else nick the last time when he ran at saratoga i mean he was just so quiet in the paddock he was quiet during the day that's not you know uh, during the daytime he's in action he's always wanting to know what's happening but the other day, as soon as we breezed him, we breezed him at five o'clock in the morning, he just went into a calmness. And the whole day, he never said a word. And when we walked him over to the paddock, my daughter could have took him over. He just goes into a zone. I saw it and I loved it. 
and you never know about when they change. I was saying, man, this horse is going to run a huge race today or he's not going to show up at all. And then I figured out that he goes into a zone. I, I know horses do that, but man, I've never, I've never seen it and felt it like I did with him. So I just am just, he's just such a nice horse, man. He gives you every indication that he's going to run a big race. Like I told you, man, he had trained better when we glued him on behind and he came out of his Whitney in good shape. So yeah, man, we, we, we bet on him. We liked him. We thought he was the best horse in the race. And now we're convinced that, you know, man, it's going to take a really good horse to run a really big race to beat him next time. And that lovely temperament that you describe, um, to what extent is that encouraging you for these big international prizes like Dubai and Saudi Arabia? The fact that he seems so mentally secure, is that what really is the, is the, is the driving factor behind, behind going abroad? It sure could be. I mean, every person in the world that's around a horse, they want their horses to have their minds right and be able to feed off that. We can do that with him. I mean, he, he talks loud and clear. So, yeah, I mean, to have their minds right and for him to not... Nick, well, he went up the other tra- track the other day when they had... When you couldn't breeze for a couple of days and everybody was on the track. He was the first one there and he was looking straight down the stretch. And I'm telling you, Nick, he stood there. And when these 150 horses passed him, he never moved a muscle. He never looked at another horse. He just stood there. And I freaking, I was amazed by this. I mean, he's, he's got his mind right. So, yeah, man, when he goes abroad, when he goes shipping, he doesn't get upset. He just goes into the new barn and takes over. This this is his new home. That's what we've seen of him so far. Uh, you've come back with a with a, a bang. I mean, to say the very least, to come back off a ten year suspension and win a Breeders' Cup Classic in 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 those first few weeks and months. W- were there periods in that in that decade where when you wondered whether you would train horses again, or were you always gonna always gonna come back? Well, I was always looking to come back. I was fighting tooth and nail with these people, man. I got any kind of police organization in to try to show them what these people did, you know, and they did. The FBI looked in on it. You know, there, there was a bunch of people that looked in on it, and they were upset at DAs. They were as upset as we were of what, what happened there. So, you know, I always kept my mind right. I know I'm going to get back, and I know that somebody up there really likes me. I've always had a good horse in my barn, and I, yeah, I knew that I was going to get another runner. Why not? You know, so many people can get them. Why, why can't I get another runner? I'm going to be, I'm going to be ready. I know what I'm doing around a horse. So yeah, somebody was going to reach out and give me something. I, I knew it. So you know, it, it happened so much quicker than i could ever imagine man i mean i really keep thinking man how did this happen so so quickly but yes when i was out i knew i would come back and i knew that i would win another big race i knew that and i still know that what what kind of mental strength did you need to think right well i just got to sit this out i've just got to got to keep focused and how did you keep yourself busy I didn't. I was trying, you know, I went to Saudi a couple times. I went to Frank Stronic's farm, was with him for a little while. You know, I tried to keep in, in, in tune with horses as much as I could, 
But, you know, they put a restriction on me to where I wasn't even allowed to talk to my mom about a horse, if you can believe that. They wouldn't let me talk to anybody. They wouldn't let me see any horses. They put a restriction on me. They've never put on anybody ever. But I try to try to stay involved as much as I could to, to just be around them and just feel them. And, you know, I, I don't know how to tell you about how my mind was working, but I just knew I had to be cool, wait it out, try to fight them as much as I could to get back. We gave them some very good opportunities to let me back. But somebody in that organization has just just got it in for me for whatever reason. But so far, so good on our comeback, and, and we're ready for more. But since I jumped on the plane and since I landed, Nick, you should see the clients that are calling me. And I am overwhelmed, man. So you are about to be flooded with nice horses. Um, what is the optimal amount of horses you would like to train, do you think? What makes it? What makes the whole thing tick like where you want to be? I think maybe I think maybe 150 would be good with me. You know, I have like about 50 now, but I've had over that in the past, and I've had excellent help there to where we don't miss a whole lot. You know, anytime you got so many of those horses, you're gonna you're gonna be missing something. But you got you, you keep fighting, you keep trying, you keep getting up, you keep going at it, and and you will prevail. You know. So I, I want as many as I can. I, I really do. I have so many people that I like and that I want to train for, and I got good help in my stable that want more horses. So we are well prepared for more, and I want it, man. Rick, thank you for your time today. Congratulations again with White Barrio. Look forward to seeing him in Saudi, Dubai, and beyond. Nick, I got to tell you, I'm happy for you. I think you do a great job. I love watching you on TV. I love the way you guys are, and I can't wait to be interviewed by you again. Well, I think some quite heartening news from across the other side of the world um, came to me via Marcus Armitage in the Daily Telegraph, uh, and that was that Henrietta Knight, trainer of the legendary Triple Gold Cup winner Best Mate, and many others, Edredon Blur, Lord Noly, and lots of other favourites from the early part of this century, is to take out a training licence again after a, a decade without, but been very busy in the interim, and Hen joins me now. I've got to say, you've taken me a little bit by surprise, but I do know how hands-on you've been in the interim. So how much of a how much of a transition is it actually going to be getting back into the swing of it? Well, I actually don't think it will be too much of a transition because I've been lucky enough to have had some lovely horses in the yard for the last five or six years from various trainers. And we've had over 50 trainers send horses here to jump. And um, I've still got my yard absolutely bursting with jumpers. And... Um, I, I sort of feel I, I followed them and I've been racing and I feel still quite sort of in the in the midst of it all. I just felt I'd love to be able to train some of them myself and, and be back there in person. Was there just a little bit of frustration sometimes you were thinking, oh, I'd love to I'd love to get my hands on that one. I'd love to plot a campaign for him or her. Quite often, I, quite often I used to think, oh, gosh, I wish that one wasn't going back. I just would love to keep him here and train him. So you can now. What's the idea in terms of the scale of the of the new enterprise? Will it be like before or not? No, no, it won't be nearly as big. Um, we've still got all the same facilities um, and, and the same boxes, but it would be probably, you know, a third of what it was before, or half anyway. And um, with the emphasis on chasers, although I actually do like the, the juvenile hurdlers, I love them too. It might sound funny, but I love having horses off the flat because we get a lot of them that come our way 
straight off the flat, having never jumped at all, and we love having them here because the field that I have, you've probably never seen it, is is very, very good. And the jockeys who ride for me and come and ride the horses, they all say they love riding here because the hurdles and the field and the whole thing just sort of suits a young horse. So maybe I look, if we can find the right owners, I'd like to buy... Um, a few horses off the flat, if there's any left, after the horses and training sale, and um, campaign a few for juvenile hurdles, as well as the chasers for the future. I was interested that you were mentioning in Marcus's piece about the book that you wrote, where you, you toured a lot of the stables in, in, in Britain and Ireland, and, and sort of wondered how much inspiration that had given you, and to what extent you think training has changed in the, the period since you last had a licence. Oh, hugely changed. Um, obviously, after Terry died in 2014, two years after I gave up my license, everything was a bit flat because I had no license and half the horses had gone from here. Their stables were empty. And so then I decided to do this book and I actually visited 30 different yards in UK and Ireland. And it was unbelievably revealing. And I thought to myself, well, if ever I trained again, I've got so many new ideas, but whether my ideas, when I put them in practice, will work, I don't know. Um, it was amazing what I learned. Training just has changed so much. And also, um, there's so many different ways to, what they say, to skin a cat, isn't no. there? <laughs> or skin a rat, or whatever they say. I mean, there's just you, there's no training establishment is the same as the one up down the road. They're all different. And you've managed to um, hook Brendan Powell back from his very successful spell as an assistant to, to Joseph O'Brien. Did that take a lot of persuasion? Um, well, probably a little bit, yes. <laughs> um, I think his heart is probably in... His heart very much is in the jumpers. And um, he's got a wealth of experience. We trained over 700 winners himself as a trainer, as well as being a good jockey. And... Uh, his son, young Brendan, has always been very instrumental in school in the young horses I've had here, and I think a lot of his riding, uh, as well as quite a number of the other local jockeys like James James Bowen and Paul O'Brown. I mean, they're my sort of regulars. And I and um, Nick Schofield, who I think very highly of, I mean, those jockeys, I would love to ride my horses because they're horsemen, and I'm very excited about the whole thing. Absolutely. Hen, when do you think you might have your first runner? And do you have any idea of what that first runner might be? Well, I haven't got this licence through yet. <laughs> I haven't, haven't really got the horses organised properly yet. Um, we've got a lot of young horses here, and I've got to get some older horses. And um, I need some some owners to happy to buy a few older horses that we can get going with. Maybe a few off the flat, as I said, for the juvenile hurdles. I don't expect we'll have any runners probably till the end of December or early, early January, just when the weather's gone and it's all abandoned. But it'll be <laughs> so much to look forward to, and I'm really excited about the whole thing. Well, it'll be great to have your, your name back in the, in the race car, Ten. Thanks so much for talking to me. Good luck. I have a great time in Australia. Enjoy it. All right, thank you to all my guests today, to Hen Knight, to, to Brittany Erton for those very moving words on Cody Dorman, to Rick Dutrow talking about wider barrio, and of course at the beginning of the programme to Mark Zara, Melbourne Cup winning jockey, and to Adam Peacock for his thoughts on the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Um, that is it for the moment. I will be back uh, from Melbourne tomorrow, as I said, Kennedy Oaks on Thursday. And, of course, Champions Day on Saturday. And we'll be uh, taking a look ahead to all the best of the domestic action as well. But from Flemington, from a glorious Flemington, it's bye for now.
been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.